0: Amen. He's right. I'm ready. Y'all ready? Luke chapter eighteen. Luke chapter eighteen is where we'll be this morning. Thank you for being here. And uh if you're thinking this is where we were last week, you're right. And we're here again this week as we're going to be reading verses nine through fourteen. Start off with asking us a, a question. H- how many of us have ever attended a class, a conference? A training a meeting a professional development and scoffed we don't need this information you might need it but I don't need it I don't need to be here in fact why did they not ask me to lead the conference or lead the training or the class maybe you need to be in attendance and listen up but not so much myself I remember uh, my son's first year of baseball and in order to coach during his first year of baseball where we were playing, they said that I had to attend a training meeting on how to coach baseball. And I was like, <sighs> me, attend your meeting. Like, I just watched the Braves last night. We played the show on Xbox like we're good, right? This is children's baseball. We, we think we got it. I remember seriously not saying those things out loud, but thinking things like that to myself. I go to the training meeting for baseball for kids and coaches. And about 30 minutes in, I was like, huh, that's pretty good. And then right after that, I remember thinking to myself like, wow, that's that's actually better than how I would explain it or teach it. And then about an hour and a half in, I was actually thankful that I went. Because imagine that. There was something that I didn't know. like I learned things from someone else, but my attitude before I got there was I've got it all locked up because I am who I am, and there's no more knowledge about anything that you can pour into me. Well, the parable we're going to look at today warns against confidence in our own righteousness. Confidence in our own righteousness. There's a warning there. It could be that you are here today, and you're here, and maybe you've come here just for the first time today, or maybe you've been here many times. And every time you come, you think in your head, this is pointless. I'm here because somebody else wants me to be here. They may need this information and it may work for them, but I don't need it. And some of you may be thinking to yourself, every time I come, it's reminders of what I already know. I know the Bible. I've been a Christian since I was little. I know what the teaching is. All you're doing is giving me reminders. Maybe you're thinking to yourself, why don't you sit down and let me preach? And maybe so. Maybe so. But the truth is today is the scripture is warning against our own self-righteousness. And here's what we'll learn from the scripture in Luke chapter 18, verse 14. Jesus says at the end, those who lift themselves up will be lowered, and those who lower themselves will be lifted up. Amen? Lord, thank you so much for your word. Spirit of God, would you guide us into all truth? Remind us that we are so lacking When it comes to who we are before you. And we thank you in advance for what you've done to close the gap. In Jesus name. Amen. What we're about to read here in just a moment is a parable. A parable is a short story told by the Lord to communicate what God values and what his mission is. And in this parable, this short story to make a point. There are two men, one location and one reason. You have a Pharisee and a tax collector at the temple and they are both praying in Luke chapter 18 verse 9 the Bible says then Jesus told this story to some who had great confidence in their own righteousness and scorned everyone else two men went to the temple to pray one was a Pharisee and the other was a despised tax collector the Pharisee stood by himself and prayed this prayer I thank you God that I am not a sinner like everyone else For I don't cheat, and I don't sin, and I don't commit adultery, and I'm certainly not like that tax collector. I fast twice a week, and I give you a tenth of my income. Verse 13. But the tax collector stood at a distance and dared not even lift his eyes to heaven as he prayed. Instead, he beat his chest in sorrow, saying, "Oh God, be merciful to me, for I am a sinner. I tell you, this sinner, not the Pharisee, returned home justified before God. For those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. Pharisees have been mentioned all throughout the Bible, all throughout the New Testament, over and over again. This was a Jewish religious group that not only studied the Bible or studied those first five books of the Bible, and not only studied the, the Scriptures, but they upheld the Old Testament law with passion and strict adherence. The Pharisees did it all by the letter to the point where they broke down words and separated ideas to make sure that they were doing everything exactly right. And their passion to be holy and right with God is actually good, but it's terribly misguided. Because their dedication to doing right before God led them to think that their doing right before God led them to be right with God. Terribly misguided. And what happens is when you think that your actions are going to get you right with God, you become very legalistic to the point of what you do is going to save you, not even the blood of Jesus in the way that God has made. But you think that your works are so good and can measure up, and because you are good and somebody else is not, God will surely let you in. Again, their passion for God, to do right by God, was good on the front, but completely misguided when it comes to standing justified before God. So what this leads to when you have this kind of focus is a focus on self rather than a focus on trying to please God that created you and has made a way for you. The tax collector, a Jewish tax collector during this day and time, was often ostracized from their very community. And the reason is because they made their living taking advantage of their own people. They they were working for the Roman government this time in the scriptures, the Jewish people were under the authority authority of the Romans. And the Romans, when it came tax season, which nobody likes, all throughout history apparently, when it came time for tax season, the Romans would hire Jewish citizens to do their bidding. They would contract with them to go to these houses of individuals that were Jews, and they themselves would tax their own people above what the quota was from the Roman government. And they would do so that they could turn a profit for themselves. And, and by doing this, they were free to make this profit because this was all backed by the Roman government. So you can imagine tax collectors being Jewish people themselves. Taking money from their own people. They were looked at by Jewish citizens as despised characters. Nobody liked them. Saw them coming and went the other way. They were guys that had no principles. They were, they were seen as greedy and dishonest. Like nobody cared for them. And this background is important to note. Because here's what I want you to know on the front end. Both these guys are Sinners. Both of them, as are we. This is our state before God if we stand within ourselves. Both these guys are are standing wrong before God, but you'll realize that one of these guys knows it and the other one doesn't. So as we read in Luke chapter 18 verses 9 through 14, we're going to discuss the contrast between these two guys, but I want to let you know as we talk about their position and their prayer and their result, that there's one of these guys we want to be like when we leave out of here, and one of them we don't. Let's talk about the the position that each one of them takes in the temple as they're praying. The Pharisee, the Bible says, stood by himself. He stood by himself. Your translation may say that he stood with himself, meaning that his position was a separation between himself and all the common folk. Y'all over there are coming to pray, and I don't even know why, because the real prayer people are over here. This was the position that he takes at a distance, a social distance from others, not for the threat of a virus, but for the threat that they are guilty of being not like me. That's the attitude that he has taken. That's why he has separated himself from another person, another group of people, because he and his faith is all about what he's done to be right with God. Isn't it interesting? This man who came... Closeness with God positions himself to others like he doesn't know God at all. God, who is above, God, who is truly holy, separate even in his holiness from creation, also involves himself with us because he loves. God is is imminent, and he positions himself towards his creation close. But the Pharisee's focus was not on God. It was on himself. Therefore, with the focus being on himself and his own righteousness, it separates him from people. If we're truly right with God, his position would certainly not be away from sinners. Y'all didn't hear me. If we are truly right with God, our position is certainly not distant from sinners, y'all. He would have known the scripture in Leviticus that says to love your neighbor. And if anybody knows in this place today, loving other people is not ideal at a distance. Loving other people has proximity. It has closeness. If you are a Christian that only tries to associate with other Christians, well, I guess guess the gospel just ends with you then, doesn't it? If all we're doing is trying to create a circle where nobody is in the circle that needs the gospel, what are we doing? As I see it in the scripture, we are plan A to reach other folks with the good news of Jesus Christ. What good does light do in a room full of light? The light shines in the darkness, the Bible says. So yes, not giving up our influence, not giving up our integrity, or not giving up our message. We are to associate with sinners in a way that we are reaching with the influence of the gospel to people that need it. Ask yourselves this question. How during the week are you involved with people who need you? How are you during the week involving yourself intentionally with people who need the light of Christ? in the dark world. You're probably like me and have heard or maybe you've experienced some churches that carry a reputation of being too high and mighty to get in. That church is too high and mighty to get in. Why is that? Because some people act too high and mighty for others to get in. That's why it is. That's the truth. Ah, we don't do that. When's the last time you shook the visitor's hand? When's the last time you got up out of that pew, went to somebody that you don't know, and dare I say don't look like you, and reached across the aisle to welcome them here to the church that you've attended all your life? The church that you love, the church that you drive to, you grind at. When's the last time you have got up, sought somebody out that does not go here, and said, I'm glad to see you, my name is fill in the blank? I've been here a long time. Have you been here five minutes or five years? Can I help you with anything today? When's the last time? Why are you asking us that? Because if we're not being welcoming, then we're not welcoming. That's not a sign, church, to five staff members. That's a sign to the church. Now, I will say this. Lindsey Lane Baptist Church, for it to grow to the size it has, there's been a whole lot more welcoming than not. I would say that even in the size that we are, the reason why churches grow is because they are welcoming, because they reach out and welcome in. But I will also say that because of the size that we are, there are probably people that don't say these things out loud that you're going to see today, but they think that within their heart, and they will look somebody up and down, and they will withhold an invitation if somebody looks a certain way. And if you're in that category, hear the preaching. Stop it. Quit. You need to remember where you came from. If you're a saint, it's because God made you a saint. Because God cleaned you up. He made a way for you. I've learned during this study there is no other sin in the New Testament that Jesus denounced more than religious hypocrisy. No other sin that he denounced more. I want you to listen to this challenging statement, and I did not write it. But man, it will preach. And I want you to hear it, because I believe God is is leading us to tackle this today. Some of us hide behind the respect we command in our communities. Some of us hide behind the respect we command for ourselves in the community. Lindsay Lane, may we never turn our nose up at opportunities to be more welcoming. There's a lot riding on the line for people that are are coming into church for the first time. Y'all, the pandemic did nothing to stop visitors from coming here. Did y'all know that? Visitor's cards every week, every week. More than likely, and you visited churches too, more than likely people are making up their mind about this place, not when the preaching starts, not when the music starts. It's when they come in and people are nice to them or not. We either represent this stuff or we don't. And not to people we know, but to those we don't know. Amen? Y'all, did y'all know y'all can know more than five people? You can know more than five people and know closely more than five people. You can reach out to a whole lot of folks. I mean, that idea is a foundation idea of this church even. Listen to the challenging statement. Some of us hide behind the respect we command in our communities. If we have any self-respect at all, it's because God gave it to us. It's because God founded us in his forgiveness and cleans us up to live with purpose. And so should we not turn our nose up about little cute ideas of community outreach? Like we used to do that. I don't know what they think. Do y'all really think that's going to do anything? Yeah, we really think it's going to do something because we're doing something in the name of Jesus Christ. We want you to come with us. But you know what that's going to take? It's going to get us out of our comfort zone. We're going to have to talk to people that don't look like us. Weren't raised like us. Well, is the gospel for them or not? So should we not, when we hear an idea, automatically turn the volume down and give a thumbs down? Before God, we'll deal with that. The tax collector, though, the tax collector, he didn't stand by himself. He stood at a distance, is what the Bible says. He stood at a distance or, or standing afar off, afar off. Can you imagine, just for a minute, at the temple, if we're coming in here for a prayer service, which that's another sermon in itself, but if we came in here for a prayer service and everybody's gathered at the front and a sinner darkens the door and he stands in the back corner because he can't even imagine approaching the altar of God. Can't even think of himself being with the people of God to pray. And so he stands at a distance. Now, this is different than standing by himself. His distance from the rest of everybody else was not for arrogance' sake or conceit, It was his feelings of unworthiness. He did not feel like he should belong there. Y'all, can I just, some of y'all won't even like this. Everybody needs to feel welcome in this sanctuary. And by everybody, I mean everybody. Everybody that's coming in here to seek the truth of God should be made to feel welcome. Now, y'all know what we preach from this pulpit? What we preach from this pulpit is you don't clean yourself up and then come to God. God. God will do the cleaning for you. If that is the case, then how dare we tell people you've got to clean yourself before you get to church. You see, that doesn't mix. That's upside down. We think that they need to dress better, smell better, look better, get their form together, act right before you come in here. What is that? Hypocrisy. 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 Well, they should know better. They ought to know better than to have form to come in here and act like that. Yeah, you're right. Well, I'm just meddling now, just straight meddling now. His stance is not the, the only position that he takes. The Bible says he dared not even lift his eyes to heaven. Y'all see the proper position of a man who's going to leave justified here in just a minute. He dares not even look up to heaven is what the Bible says. You see, instead of lifting his eyes in worship towards the heavens, he he takes this position of reverence that's relative to conviction of sin. In so many words, y'all, he was ashamed. He was ashamed. And and y'all, when there's sin in our lives, did y'all know this, that shame is appropriate? When there's wrong in our life, and it's biblically wrong according to the Spirit and the Word of God, shame is appropriate. Arrogance will get you flat on your face before you know it. Shame is appropriate. I I say this because, you all it's weird that I even have to remind the church of this. Because sometimes we in our sin will take the grace of God for granted and be like, well, God forgave us of that. Just, you know, short memory, turn the page. That's not what the Bible says about sin. And I'm not talking about those big sins that everybody knows. I'm talking about even the little sins that's within ourselves. For the scripture says in James chapter 4 verse 9, let there be tears for what you've done. And speaking of, of specifically divided loyalties is what the Bible is speaking of, but sin in general. Let there be sorrow and deep grief. Let there be sadness instead of laughter. Gloom instead of joy. But to do that means that we have to lower ourselves. Y'all, we're so quick to give ourselves a pass. Ah, it's not that bad. Why do we think that? Because it's not as bad as the screens we keep looking at all day long. Yeah, go ahead and compare yourself to somebody you're looking at on that screen when the comparison God is trying to make is that you are comparable to Him. How we measure up to the mirror of Scripture. His stance is not, his, not the only position. He dared not to, to lift His eyes. And then the Scripture says that He physically beat His chest in sorrow. Now, I want you to picture that for a minute because that's not real normal stuff. I've never seen anyone here beat their chest in sorrow. And and we can take a look at that, I guess. And now if somebody did it today, we wouldn't be freaked out by it as much as we would. But why, why would he do that? One theologian said that this was a physical act as if to say, oh, what a wicked heart. And knowing no other way to fix his heart that was black and dark and had cheated people. He just began to beat himself in the heart because of the sin that he had against people and the sin that he had against God. This is a physical gesture of distress. I'm going to get to this point later later on, but you don't have to beat your chest anymore to fix your heart because God's done the work for you. He's beat back sin already. So what he's doing is a physical gesture of distress. He's reached the point, y'all, of where he's become undignified before God. He don't care what everybody else is looking at. He's become undignified before God to the point where he will not lift his head and he is beating his chest in sorrow. Like the Pharisees over here running down the list of how he's getting his story together, of how he's getting up before God, and the tax collector ain't even spoke yet. He can't even bring himself to words yet. When you think of all this, as we make our way to the prayer, this is why, when we pray, we teach our children to bow their heads. Close our eyes. Why we give an invitation for you to come to the altar? Because it gives the church an opportunity to remember who we are and who God is. So let's talk about prayer. The Pharisees' prayer was one of thanksgiving. Lord, thank you so much and I'm not like these losers. And that's what he prayed. That was his for real prayer. God, thank you so much that I know more than him. This guy don't know nothing. He looks weird. Everybody hates him. Thank you, God. This is not a prayer of thanksgiving, is it? It's a twisted prayer of thanksgiving, I guess. I read the following this week that self-righteousness is always being bothered most by someone else's sin. Self-righteousness is always being bothered most by someone else's sin. No, this was not a prayer of thanksgiving. This was a prayer of self-congratulation. And you know what our culture loves? Self-congratulation. You, you can look, videos on the internet are a real quick supply. From celebrities, famous people that are being celebrated for saying things like this. I want to thank me for believing in me. It's, it's seriously, it's funny. Like, but being celebrated, highlighted, for, for other celebrities saying things like this, I want to take the time to apologize to absolutely no one. Others, others, famous people, I'm talking about dignitaries saying things like this, I did this stuff myself. Taking personal credit, self-congratulation. Within our doctrine that we believe here at this church, we do not believe that we become God's. Therefore, we are not to be celebrated or worshiped or lifted high. So, when we consider our life, we must consider ourselves in comparison with a holy God, not with others. That's the truth of the scripture. When we pray, when we pray, we're obviously going to use personal pronouns because we are talking to God. And so, we're going to use personal pronouns. But when the Pharisee talked to God, he used the word I a lot, like a ton. Over and over. And not not in relation to God, but in reference to self. And he said things like this. I don't cheat. I don't sin. I don't commit adultery. I'm not like him. I do fast and I do tithe. I I think before, as I see this, if, if we were to do this list ourselves, it would almost be like God is like, yeah, buddy, that's not the only stuff in there. Like there's more that you shouldn't do and more that you should do. In fact, Jesus called them on it. Because he said something like this, you tithe from the tiniest bit of your herb gardens, but you don't love folks. That's what he said to the Pharisees. And the scripture says, in Luke chapter 6, verse 45, what you say flows from what is in your heart. So what was in his heart as he prayed to Almighty God was himself. That's who he was talking about. That's what he was counting his righteousness on. It wasn't gratitude to God nor acknowledgement of what God had done for him. It was confidence in his own righteousness. It was confidence in who he had become to make him right with God rather than God making him right with himself. And to reinforce his faith in his righteousness, he made comparisons with others who were not like him. A great question that I've discovered to ask for self-evaluation to where we're truly at is this. Is your hope, seriously, is your hope in heaven based on not being as bad as someone else? Is that where your hope lies? Lord, just thank you that I'm not like them. If I was like them, I surely wouldn't be getting in. But because I'm not, I'm going to get in, right? Y'all think I'm kidding? Guarantee you there's at least one to five to ten people in here that think that right now. My good outweighs my bad. Biblically untrue. For all has sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Sin separates us from God. Your sin has cut you off from God. Y'all, sometimes I I think to myself, I don't know if we believe this or not, because our culture and sometimes even the church just starts taking sin and going, that's not sin anymore. At, At the end of the day, Jesus died for something. He died for something. It may just be a bad attitude. At the end of the day, The story was told to me of some friends on a trip through a big city. They, They went to a big city. They got on the subway, and as they're on the subway and making their way, they come to a stop, and another guy gets on. And truth be told, not trying to be insensitive, it's just the truth of the story. A guy gets on, and he was a strange character. Strange, what do you mean? Like he sits down, and he begins to talk with himself. Like he's having a conversation with himself. A lady after this illustration showed me a, a meme on her phone that said something like, if I'm talking to myself, don't bother me, just keep on going because we're in a staff meeting. <laughs> oh, that was funny. That's funny. So, so anyway, they, they sit down in the subway, there's a guy there, a strange character, he begins to talk with himself, and of course, those three friends are looking at this guy like, what is he doing? Like, who's he talking to? Nowadays, that's normal because people have Bluetooth, and like you think people are doing that all the time, and you're like, what is happening? Who are they talking to? But this guy was no Bluetooth. He was talking to himself. They go down a little bit further. They get to a stop. Somebody else gets on. And this somebody else was also a strange character. Doing things to the point of where the first guy looked at him and was like, this guy's a weirdo. And looked back to the other set of friends and was like, I mean, am I right? The hypocrite always compares himself to man, not to God, and will eventually find someone that they are better than. Is your hope based on not as being as bad as someone else? All have sinned and fallen short of God's glory. The tax collector, and this is important, the tax collector saw no one else as a sinner. In fact, I don't even know if he saw anybody else in that room. All he saw in that room while he was praying Was it was relative to himself in comparison to God. Not even feeling worthy to get in the temple and be around others, he approached the Lord with this prayer, Oh God, be merciful to me, for I am a sinner. A short, simple, serious prayer filled with reverence and an admission of complete dependence upon God for any righteousness or forgiveness before God. Oh, God, be merciful to me, for I am a sinner. Now, his cry for mercy is worth spending a minute on. He used the word for mercy in verse 13, and that's only used twice in the New Testament, and it means this, to propitiate. Now, that's a $5 word, and we're going to talk about what it means. But in both instances in the New Testament, that word mercy translates in the original language as to propitiate. Propitiate is a big word with a big meaning, and it means this, to appease for or atone for. So when he's praying, oh God, be merciful to me, he is praying, God, uh, may, may you do something that appeases you on my behalf. May you do something that atones for my sin, for I am a sinner. God is holy, and God cannot overlook sin because of it. Small or big, Attitudes or actions, because God is holy, it all counts. So, in His goodness, out of His holiness, He made a way for the sinner in need to be saved indeed through the system of sacrifice. Through the shed blood of Jesus Christ, God's wrath towards sin is atoned for, it is appeased. Hebrews chapter 2, verse 17, which is where this other word comes into play. It calls Jesus the merciful high priest, the propitiating high priest that could offer a sacrifice that would take away the sins of the people and therefore appease or atone for them before a holy God. Meaning that he, Jesus, the high priest, the great high priest, is able to make a sacrifice which is giving up himself to make a way for a sinner like the tax collector and the Pharisee who needs grace. By doing this, and this is the cool part, By doing this through the system of sacrifice, God maintains his integrity as holy and the sinner has a way of rescue. This is propitiation. And Jesus takes all this on himself. This is why we talk about Jesus, share the name of Jesus, pray in the name of Jesus. This is why we lift Jesus high because Jesus as God defeated sin and death for us because we cannot do that kind of defeating. Don't forget that. Church, don't miss this. The tax collector is our example here. He's certainly the example we want to take. Y'all, the tax collector was a sinner too. I'm serious. The tax collector, the guy that we are going to leave here wanting to be like, as he is like Jesus, the guy that we are going to leave here wanting to be like was also a sinner. He had probably just a day or so before swindled a family with young children out of money. Taking money out of their pockets, taking food off their tables. They may have had to leave their home because they could not pay the taxes and the Roman government backed that up. He was a sinner too. But here is one of the great points of this parable. If Jesus uses the tax collector as an example of righteousness, then he can do the same with you and through you. Hey, y'all hear me? He can do the same with us and through us. God can make us examples of righteousness to tell his story to people on the outside looking in. I don't know about y'all, I want to be that. I want God to use me in that way. But he can't use you in that way if you are your own righteousness. God cannot use us in that way if we've got everything together and there's no more need for his grace anymore. You know, this sometimes is what makes Christianity unattractive because the world knows better, y'all. They see us with a bad attitude at the restaurant they see us hauling off, getting in somebody's face at the ball field. And that's who we are, because we need grace and salvation. <laughs> but when we act like we don't, we're, we're better than somebody else and our salvation is our own, that's why it's unattractive. Because there is no perfect person in this world. God has, has made a way for us through the blood of his son because everybody is cut off from God in their sin. Everybody. Jesus said in Mark chapter 2 verse 17, I know I'm not talking about opinions up here today because this is in the Bible. Jesus said in Mark 2 17, I've come to call those who, I've not come to call those who think they are righteous, but those who know they are sinners. Those who know they are sinners, that's who I've come to call. The tax collector was was basically praying this, Oh Lord, please make a way for me a sinner. And that's exactly the mission of Jesus. You all Just stop, just stop explaining to everybody why you're good. And just stop, I'm serious, just stop it whether you're a Christian or not. Stop telling people why your sin is just fine before God. It's not. And we can take these verses and we can twist them all we want to. Plain things are main things, and main things are plain things. And at the end of the day, we've all got sin, and we need to quit acting like we don't. That's as plain as I can make it. (laughs) Lord, make away from me a sinner. Both these guys were in trouble before God. One went away justified. And Jesus said in verse 14, for those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. Now let's look at the result. Jesus says in verse 14, as we're bringing this to a close, and my glasses are fogging up. Here we go. Jesus said in verse 14, i tell you this sinner, this sinner, not the Pharisee, returned home justified before God. He now could return to daily life. Now did y'all notice this? The Pharisee returns home right before God, which means that God didn't just take him on to heaven. He had to go home with this and thank God for that. Now he goes home newly purposed. Now he goes home forgiven and set free from the penalty and the power of sin. His life is being changed because God has cleared him of his record of sin, now dealing with his guilt. Now the truth is, when he leaves, he's probably going to pass by some of those folks that he cheated. As he leaves, being known in that community, there are people that are probably still going to kick dirt on him as he walks by. Some of you may think to yourself, that was me, and I'm still dealing with the guilt over my sin. you got to know today that forgiven sin does have consequences. That's exactly right, but it's still been forgiven, and you've been declared righteous, not on your own merit, but by the blood of Jesus Christ. Stand on that truth. And make your stuff right with other people, but you've got to stand on that truth, because even if you don't feel saved, if God has saved you, He saved you. That's a good result, amen? Don't overthink the how. Don't overthink the how. How? He humbled himself before God and admitted that he was a sinner and called out to God's way, believing that God would make a way, and he did through Jesus Christ. So he came in wrong, and he left out right. The same thing can happen for you in this church today on a Sunday morning. You come in wrong thinking all these people probably got it together. Man, you need to join the crowd of people that are forgiven. That's who we are. Now, I wouldn't. you've got to speak to this side, too. God's Spirit's on the inside of us. If we're still practicing sin, we've got big questions we need to answer. Because God's changed us, and he's making a way different for us. But still, he has forgiven us and set us free from the penalty and the power of sin. This is the result. He came in wrong, but he left right. As Jesus declared, this sinner is justified and will go home this way before God. Not this Pharisee who is self-righteous. A notable author said the following. What kind of people is God looking for? Bad people. Unqualified people. Lowly people. Failed people. Despised people. Who can't meet the gospel standard for humanity. You may be saved and walking different now. You better not forget where you came from before God found you. It will help you with people. And when we start looking on those screens every day. And calling out people for doing all these kinds of things that we would never do. Give me a break. Because I'm not buying it. And the world's not buying it. Let's close with the truth. Because I don't know whether they all like this today or not. <laughs> Let's close with the truth. I want you to notice this as we close. Jesus is speaking to some that are on this path. Now, not all. Because the Bible says, if you look in Luke chapter 18, if you look there in verse 9, it says, Then Jesus told this story to some who had great confidence in their own righteousness and scorned everyone else. It did not mean that everybody thought this, but some did. But can I tell you all this, y'all? We can all get there. Come on. We can all get there with this, thinking that, that we are, even if we don't say these things out loud. But if you're here today and you, you've seen this this scripture that says, He told this story to somebody with great confidence in their own righteousness and scorned everyone else. Listen, the challenge to this kind of passage when you are a hearer is is not thinking that you don't fit into this category. If you don't think that you fit into this category, you automatically do. Automatically. That's not me. You automatically fit into this category. So, what's our response? It's It's two things. Last section of the page and we're done. Our response is we, we, we humble ourselves before God. And out of that, I will say this. As we humble ourselves before God, it may call for us to humble ourselves before people. Because God wants to reconcile relationships. Don't you think if you've done something to your brother that if you go to God for forgiveness, God is not going to have you go to that brother and ask for his forgiveness too. So we humble ourselves before God. This is an obvious response to this message. At the the altar in our seat, we go before God and ask God to forgive us of our bad attitude, of our self-righteous attitude that we are taking the credit for goodness that somebody gives us over what he's done for us. We take the credit because we've been working hard. No, we need to humble ourselves before God so that it would bleed into our attitude on Monday as we deal with people through the next week before we come in here on Wednesday night and then Sunday again to hear God's word again. And then, the last thing I would say is, is and let me, let me give you one more question because I've closed like three different times now. Let me give you one more question. Have you this week been talking more about others more than you have prayed to God? Have you spoken about others and they're wrong than you more in thanking God for your right? Let that sink in. If so, it's time to humble ourselves before God. We need to ask for God's mercy. We need to, we need to become undignified, forget thinking about all this stuff and the show. And, and I, I really don't think we've got that kind of church, just to be honest, because I know a lot of y'all. But we need to keep ourselves from thinking that we've done this thing. We need to keep ourselves in the way of acknowledging God fully that if there's any good in us, it's because what of what God is doing in us. But there's also this other side that maybe today for the first time you've realized that trying to do good is not going to make you right before God. And you've heard full well that whether you're the Pharisee or the tax collector, both these guys still needed propitiation. They still needed for God to make a way. Can I tell you the good news? God has made a way. That's why we keep talking about Jesus Because Jesus, the high priest, made a way through giving up himself, shedding his blood to be an acceptable sacrifice before God that would appease his wrath. God did that for you. You might as well go on and accept it. You might as well love him for it and accept it. And turn from your sin and turn to God by faith in Jesus Christ, the way maker for our souls. Amen. Let's stand to our feet.